Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by half man, half machine, um, leader of Seahawks Twitter. I would say leader of Let Russ Cook movement, but I guess there there's kind of a, a lot of different fathers I, I, and, and mothers of that of that movement with uh, Seahawks Twitter. It is none other than our friend, analytical maven, writer for The Athletic, Ben Baldwin. Ben, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you back in the podcast game, and I've, I've really enjoyed this new show so far. Yeah, well, thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, hopefully we're... Hopefully I'm able to present some some different things than your typical, you know, weekly synopsis of what went on. And I think that's a big reason why I want to have you on here is I want to go through not only, you know, some topical stuff like how I continue to die on this in this hill of Russell Wilson, uh, maybe not being in the same tier as Patrick Mahomes while betting markets and uh, fans and uh, even the big boss Chris Collinsworth uh, continues to, to to call him the the best guy on the planet, which uh, I think he I think he is I think he is playing there. I, I think he is the MVP so far this season, but maybe I see it a little bit closer than some others. So I, w- I want to talk to you about that stuff. But I also want to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing, the analytical work that you're doing, because you have been. I mean, it's kind of amazing to me because I know that you have like a career outside of the stuff that you're doing in football. So not only have you developed this NFL fast R, which is um, a way to get play-by-play data from the NFL. Um, It also has model calculations in there for win probability, for um, completion percentage, you know, over expected for EPA. So all all that sort of stuff. But you've also have a website, which I reference quite often, actually, uh, rbsdm.com running backs don't matter.com with with all this information so i want to maybe just just briefly we can talk about you know the impetus for this sort of stuff do you just get an itch that you want to do this sort of stuff is this just like a tool that you would want that you decided to give to the public like like what's driving you to give all of this all of this away while having a day job and a family and all that stuff yeah so kind of the the high level view is like as nerds we say here are bad stats and these other stats are good stats. So like, for example, don't use passer rating because we have EPA per play and it's better. And I think that's fine, but it's not like that helpful if you don't also help people um, access that stuff. So you can't say to a beat writer, why are you using passer rating when EPA per play is better when there's nowhere for that person to actually access EPA per play, for example. So that's like, that's the main reason the site is there so that people can, uh, look these things up and have it accessible and they can filter to like down their situations or weeks and like all these things that there's just nowhere to get before. And it's kind of been great to see, like I'll be reading some random article on um, like the ringer or the athletic or PFF and see like these, these stats uh, mentioned. So it, it, it's been fun to see it kind of trickle into other places. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing on Twitter screenshots in particular of game outcomes um because you have the box scores you have the box scores on there you have the qb information where it has the the graph of cpoe versus epa per play and then it also below that has a a tabular information which you can sort for epa per play adjusted epa per play completion percentage um what you would have expected over over expectation all that sort of stuff um and additional information on tiering for for offense and for defense so i guess i want to talk mostly about the quarterback stuff and about the how how you think about quarterback play um I've had some some fruitless, I would call them Twitter discussions, whereas mostly with myself and Frisco Josh, which like never, never, never talk on Twitter. Like you're compelled to respond and then you just it just ends up going nowhere. So I want to this would be a much better forum to talk with you about some of the ideas I have about the value of of this completion percentage over expected versus versus EPA per play and how you use those in your modeling. So maybe first. Just from the top, maybe I shouldn't assume too much about what people know or what people don't know. Um, and we can talk about completion percentage over expected, um, kind of assuming people understand the, the expected point stuff because it's mentioned so much. But maybe just tell me quickly, what are the inputs into your calculation for completion percentage over expected? Yeah, so kind of the, uh, the background for this is um, everyone has completion percentage, but 
it has a weakness where if you're throwing short all the time, then you're going to have a really high completion percentage just because short passes are easier to complete than long passes. So uh, people got this idea that we should adjust completion percentage for depth of target at the very least. Uh, and this led to CPOE. Um, the, I think what mainly led to it becoming popularized was uh, the aforementioned uh, Josh Hermsmeyer writing a, a piece for 538 about uh, projecting college quarterbacks into the NFL and showed that CPOE is this predictive measure, which um, tells us something about drafting quarterbacks, but doesn't on its own mean that it's uh, useful for players once they've already reached the NFL. Um, after that, there is this kind of great Twitter thread from uh, who is now PFF Moo showing that um, CPOE for NFL quarterbacks is this pretty stable measure. And it, it also actually predicts future year EPA per play. So it's telling us something about quarterback play that is different than EPA per play um, that is kind of stable over time. Um, so with this, uh, this is basically the, the mood thread is why I became interested in CPOE and started um, <clears throat> looking at it myself and was wondering if we could kind of combine CPOE and EPA to make a more stable and more predictive measure of how a quarterback would perform in the future. Maybe I shouldn't say perform, of, of a quarterback's efficiency in the future as measured by EPA per play. And I think that the benefit of adding CPOE and EPA per play together is that for one, it kind of smooths out some of the randomness in EPA per play. If you think about like the, the impact of very huge negative plays. And another one is it's hard for a quarterback to kind of trick both measures. So like, for example, you can get a ton of EPA per play by like a pop pass or a screen pass that's taken for a touchdown or something. And that that's going to move the needle on EPA per play a lot, but it's not going to affect CPOE. And um, as I'm sure we'll get to, there's some quarterbacks that CPOE is probably too high on, but you can have a high CPOE and a low EPA per play, and that, that's probably telling us something different about different quarterbacks. So that, that's kind of my, uh, my summary. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Um, now, I guess when we're talking about EPA per play, so obviously that is a value metric. That's going to account for a whole slew of things. One of those things that's built into it is, you know, kind of how accurate a quarterback is because, you know, if they don't deliver the ball to the receiver, then you're not going to, you're not going to derive any value of that. So do you think there is something in particular about accuracy? And I'm going to say that, let's just think about CPOE, at least I'm going to think about that as more of a proxy for this one part of a, of a quarterback's game, which is, which is accuracy. Um, do you think there's something particular about that that adds to the stability of EPA per play? Or is it just this is a calculable stat that we can, I don't know if that's a word, uh, that, we can, that we can put together and, and therefore it adds to it where there are lots of other aspects of a quarterback's game which get wrapped into EPA per play like decision making and processing and finding the open receiver and all these other things that you can't, you, you can't add separately to a model essentially. Um, or do you think there's something in particular about accuracy as being, you know, on a different level from some of these other traits when predicting quarterback play going forward? Yeah, I think I, so if I had to guess, that's my explanation. So I would, my guess would be that accuracy is important, um, which shouldn't be controversial. Like it, throwing a football is a very large part of a quarterback's job. And for most, most quarterbacks, accuracy is probably not changing a lot over time. So that would explain both the stability and the predictiveness of EPA per play. Right. Okay. So, and then for your, for, for when you're modeling on, on this, you found that weighting them essentially equally is how you look at that. And when you're combining them, are you are you looking at them like are you scaling them and then and then combining them together? That's how you're you're coming up with with the metric that you have. So the the original version was I just did a linear regression of EPA per play and CPOE on um, next year's EPA per play and and combine them in that way. Um, that was before NFL Fast Start existed, so it was the um, the EPA model from NFL Scraper and CPOE from. I don't even know. <laughs> I guess there was no like real CPOE model back then. Um, but since NFL scraper doesn't exist anymore, I over the off season, I redid it and it's not linear anymore. So it, it's basically like a, a, a smooth function of both of them. And um, 
I don't know if the 50% thing is actually true anymore. It, it's possible that EPA has a higher weight. I just, I haven't actually checked. Um, and kind of what um, the real impact of redoing this with a smoother is kind of tampering down what happens at the extreme. So instead of like uh, the index being a linear function of CPOE, if, if you have a really high CPOE, then there's kind of diminishing returns to being quote unquote too high or too low. Okay, that, that that's interesting. I mean, maybe we'll we'll get into some of this about the particular players. So, um, so in other words, if I'm reading this, I mean, I'm just looking at the at the site right now, and so the number that we're seeing here for EPA plus CPOE composite, the um, so that number is the predicted EPA per play number, correct? Yeah. So the way to the way to interpret this is if somebody had uh, a given EPA per play and CPOE. For an entire season, this would be the prediction of their EPA per play in the following season. Okay. And the number that you're feeding into it, because I notice you have EPA per play and then you have unadjusted EPA per play. I assume it's the adjusted version. What are the adjustments going into that? So the only adjustment is um, kind of tampering down very, very negative plays. So uh, there's, there's a cap on negative EPA plays at the average value of a turnover, which is negative four and a half EPA. Um, okay. I originally started doing this because I was trying to replicate QBR and they have, um, th- this is kind of what they do. And I found that it, it, it helped the stability of it a little bit, which makes sense because there's a lot of randomness in whether an interception becomes a pick six or if a fumble is returned for a touchdown. And, and that doesn't really have a lot to do with the quarterback. Right, right. You just you just happened to luck out that um, Russell's had these massively <laughs> negative <laughs> negative plays. Although one of them was was a drop, so it wasn't his fault. But um, yeah, I think people probably don't like really understand the variability of the negatives when it comes to these interceptions. Like, I mean, for instance, something will be in the front of everyone's mind is what is when DK Metcalf ran down uh, Buda Baker on that interception. So. Like that play, according to your numbers, was negative 11 and a half EPA. Uh, presumably, if Buddha would have taken it all the way for a touchdown, which would have happened most of the time, it would have been somewhere around negative 13. So you're talking about moving it down to four and a half. So that's a pretty, a pretty massive uh, a difference there. And, and you mentioned something uh, which I thought was interesting on Twitter about maybe people not really understanding or thinking about the like turnovers properly in terms of value. Do you want to expound upon upon that a little bit more? Because I think it is interesting that we view interceptions so so negatively, and we give so much credit to avoiding them. But it's not necessarily the best style of play type of thing, depending upon the situation for the player. Yeah. So TD to interception radio ratio is something that like people really care about, and when a quarterback's season stats are listed, it's, it's usually like. Uh, how many times they throw on the ball, um, maybe their completion percentage, and then their touchdown to interception ratio. But like for one, that doesn't tell us about what happened for most of the plays. So when I tweeted that at halftime, the Seahawks had had six drives. Uh, Wilson had one very bad and very impactful interception, but in their other five drives, they scored and they had 27 points at halftime. So it you can't really say like Wilson has played a bad game because he threw an interception, which is what some people would say or the Seahawks are like they shouldn't be passing so much because they are they have this turnover and, and turnovers are like the one thing that you have to avoid at all costs but like if 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 having a very very good offense if, if the cost of that is throwing an interception sometimes but you're scoring on a lot of other drives then that's totally fine now people think it didn't age well because he threw two interceptions in the second half and those interceptions were costly but they, they didn't lose the game only because of those interceptions, they also lost the game because they had seven points in basically three quarters after that, uh, compared to twenty-seven points in the first half. But you know, it's interesting because I, I know I, I sense a little bit with what with some of your uh, some of your Twitter activity and some and some with other Seahawks fans. There's a, I mean, it's 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 slightly palpable. This. Is there still a fear out there that you just don't want this narrative to to creep back in about um, Russ and passing the ball too much and relying too much on the pass and the danger in doing so? And 
losing leads and things like that is is there are you still fearful at this point in the season even after russ has been cooking and he's the mvp favorite and all that stuff that we could see uh, a reversion back to seattle kind of grunt and two yards and a cloud of dust ball going forward oh yeah so that that was the impetus for the tweet it, it's not like <laughs> um it, it didn't really have anything to do with how russell wilson was playing or does this affect Russell Wilson's MVP candidacy or blah, blah, blah. Like the, the main fear is that like Pete Carroll has this philosophy of it's all about the ball. You have to protect the ball. And that, I think that was one of the big drivers why he was so reluctant to pass so much. So the fear is that um, there was this three interception game. And the last one was a backbreaking game losing interception, which yes, it, it absolutely affected the game, but it also like it came on a third and long, which is, it's that's not really what the let Russ cook crowd is all about. Like if you're, if you're throwing, like he's going to be throwing on, I think it was a third and 14, like they're going to be throwing the ball. So that, that shouldn't really inform what happened on that play. Shouldn't inform, inform what they're doing on early downs. And the offense was fine that game. Like if you score 34 points in regulation, you're probably going to win the game the vast majority of the time. It's just, the problem is their defense is terrible. And if you have a terrible defense, then you, you need to score points and passing, especially if your quarterback is Wilson passing is the way to do that. Yeah, you know, it's it's weird because Russ was excellent at avoiding interceptions last season. Now this season, like I said, there's been it's been there was some flukiness to it, but um I think he already has at least according to my numbers, he already has more uh negative EPA from interceptions this season and that's counting those um those those big massive pick six sort of sort of interceptions this season than he did than he did all of last season so he's you know he's not someone who turns it over a lot so i, I do think it's interesting that there's that perception on, on the behalf of of carol for that um well maybe get more into the russ the russ cook thing generally so i remember in the offseason there was a press conference where the headline from the press conference was carol saying um, oh yeah, we're just gonna you know toss it. We're just gonna throw it all the time. This and that. everyone took that as him mocking the let Russ cook. But the reality is, sh- shortly after he said that, he t- he took a step back and he said, you know, we are because I think the question was, are you gonna? Is this something you're gonna look at? The possibility of it. And he said, you know, we are gonna look at it because you guys keep asking me about it. So he explicitly tied um, being bullied. Let's say let's go back to bullying. Because that's, that's what all of us analytics people are doing nowadays. Being you know, uh, uh, being, being pushed in that direction. So do you think that is a real thing? Do you think that the public pressure is like, how responsible do you think public pressure is for the shift that we've seen this season? I think that's, it's hard to know how much the pressure is the reason, the reason behind what they did. What we do know is that the coaches and players are intensely aware of what is happening out in the public and on Twitter. Like um, right. Brian Schottenheimer said that like, let Russ cook is all that anybody wanted to talk about in Seattle. Um, Russell Wilson <laughs> is obviously very aware of this. So like they, they know whether that is affecting their decision-making and why Pete Carroll at 69 years old has finally relented at year, whatever year nine of Russell Wilson's career, like why he actually changed. I don't think, anybody can really say but like the idea that what happens on twitter only stays on twitter like that's that's not really true anymore like they are acutely aware of all this stuff yeah but how much do you think is direct like is a direct effect so they see what's on twitter versus i think what i've seen more than anything what i think has been more effective than anything is you have um there's a proliferation with the athletic and other places of of beat writers who are pretty tuned into Twitter. And I think are, you know, these I think are pretty smart and pretty willing to listen to new ideas. And they become a conduit for for those for, you know, people saying let Russ cook or or other sorts of aspects of pushing the game forward. Um how much do you think it's that? Because you do have some pretty good uh beat writers who are working with the Seahawks who have been not only you know amplifying this stuff on social media but they you know like asking asking uh Pete Carroll about this in press conferences yep that's that's definitely a part of it and one way in which the ideas from uh fans or whatever you want to call Twitter kind of percolates up to players and coaches where 
beat writers are are definitely watching this um and some are some more than others but especially like the younger generation they're they're used to reading twitter and following what's happening out there and they they think it's natural to kind of bring these ideas to players and coaches because that's like that's their readership and that's what their readership is interested so they're asking these questions and their fans are now closer to players and coaches than they ever have been before yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I'll, I'll still say, though, I think there's a long way to go in that regard. I mean, you know, I don't listen to a lot of the press conferences, but I try to, after the draft, post-draft, listen to press conferences. And when it, I think I think there was some with the Ravens where there's some people asking, hey, you know, what's up with that second round running back <laughs> pick when you have, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson can turn anyone into a, you know, five-yard per carry type of rusher and you have Ingram and you have all this sort of stuff. There was some of that. But then when I listened to, you know, the Lions press conference, I basically heard nothing asking about that. The, the fact that they drafted a running back after having taken carry on Johnson um, just before that. And, you know, they bring in a, a 74 year old Adrian Peterson and he can take over so, so easily there. And these other press conferences, I, I didn't, I don't hear a lot of it. So I think for fans out there, that would be my advice is like, go, 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 you know, in a nice way, go and and talk to some of the start planting some of these seeds in people's heads for for the beat writers, and then eventually, hopefully, that'll that'll get to the coaches. Um, okay, let's talk. Uh, I might as well just get into it uh, with the Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes ideas about these different measures. So I'll, I'll just go through the numbers that we have here. So for even for your adjusted EPA per play number this year, um, Russell Wilson, who is in betting markets about a a uh, 50-50 chance of winning the MVP, although we don't really know what that number means because some of it could be influenced by having taken a lot of money on Wilson before, and obviously there's a, there's the VIG built in there, and so, but still a healthy favorite over anyone else. I think the closest next to him is uh, is Rogers, who's more down in the 20% range. So he, in the adjusted EPA per play number right now, Wilson is fourth. Tannehill, our man, Ryan Tannehill, is first, Rogers second, Mahomes third. Um, but yet in CPOE, Russ is like off the charts, basically. He's at uh, 10.8, where the, the next closest is Teddy Bridgewater at six. And I was looking at this, I was trying to like scale it and look at it like a Z-score sort of thing And over the last few years. And if you look at Russell Wilson versus the rest of the league, He's something like a standard deviation and a half above everyone else. Whereas when it comes to EPA per play, everyone's within kind of a, a standard deviation there. So I, I want to know how you think about this Wilson and completion percentage over expected and being so far out fr- from everyone else. But you're saying in your calculation of the composite moving forward, it is it is tempered somewhat. So the fact that he is so, so far out from everyone else um, ends up being being downweighted a bit yeah that's right it's not like um so the the gain from going from zero percent to five percent in cpoe is um much much stronger than going from for example five percent to ten percent and and i think that is definitely a good thing okay and the other the other question is you know i there's like this disconnect that we've had with russ for a while on that's that particular statistic um, measuring his accuracy, which has always been good, but it is now is getting to kind of insane sorts of levels. I mean, if you look at CPOE over time, like I said, he's always been pretty good. It looks like I'm going from 2012 to 2020. It was about 5% and then it dipped down to 3.5. It was up to 7.3 in 2015, which is pretty good. Um, then around 4 and then up to 7 and then now up above 10, which is reaching, like I said, new 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 heights. Um, the the highest number prior to this looks like in 2013 was Philip Rivers at 8. So it's, it's, it's quite substantially higher. But yet when you look at Wilson's ranking in EPA – per play, which is, you know, purportedly, you know, what we're trying to to really be able to predict his, you know, it's just never been proportionally as high. Every every season in the league, all nine seasons, he's had a higher ranking for CPOE than he has for EPA. Um, it's been close some some prior years, but now, you know, he's 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 been first in CPOE four out of the last six years, yet 
in those years, he's never been higher than fourth in EPA per play. And then he's also been sixth and seventh and so on. So w- what's the disconnect here in, in your mind by why that's happening? And does that make you wonder at all about using CPOE to project Russ going forward if there can be a bias in that? Yeah, so I think there are a few things going on. So number one is CPOE is probably, so it measures one certain part of quarterback play, which is how well do you complete passes? That is probably the best part of Russell Wilson's game. So he is very accurate and he is very, very accurate throwing down the field and completing those passes is what gives you the biggest boost to CPOE. So that that's kind of one thing uh, is that it's kind of, I don't want to call it narrow because it's, uh, completing passes is important, but it's just kind of one slice of what quarterbacks do. Relative to EPA per play, that is measuring his greatest weakness, which is taking a lot of sacks. So that's going to hurt his EPA per play and not hurt his CPOE. Uh, another thing is that uh, prior to this season, the Seahawks have been very, very uh, run heavy on first and second downs, which is kind of the, the best time to rack up EPA because the defense isn't expecting passes. So if you have more of your passes on third downs, like Wilson did, then it's going to be harder to kind of look great on EPA where CPOE has down in the model. So it's you're not going to be penalized in that way. Uh, another issue is that um, Wilson's offensive line was very, very bad. And I think that Throwing disproportionately on third downs is probably especially harmful if you have very bad pass protection um, and if you're getting sacked or uh, throwing the ball away a lot on third down, then that's going to hurt your EPA and not your CPOE. Um, There was one other thing I was going to say that I forgot, so um, I'll I'll let you react now. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I, I think this year the disconnect is a little bit um has probably would would have been a little bit less if it weren't for the fact that he's probably on it's probably unlucky the fact that he's throwing so many interceptions i mean you have a down weighting of that but even so this is atypical for 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 russ to be to be throwing these interceptions and i am i mean i think sacks are the obvious thing and i mean i'm looking although when i'm looking at pass epa i think that russ has stepped up to a new level as far as He's really, um, he is leading. Like if you, if you net it out, if you said, let's forget about sacks, let's forget about uh, interceptions, although normally that's something that would help Russell Wilson, but this year, n- not as much. Um, then he has, at least according to to our numbers here, which I know uh, they always differ a little bit across EPA. So, so I have him for 113 expected points added just through passing when you net out um, interceptions, which is the highest of anyone, and Rogers on a per throw basis is close, very close, if not like slightly, maybe slightly better. Um, but he's higher than Mahomes and 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 everyone else there. But yeah, it really is the 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 sack number where actually this season hasn't been that bad for for Russ if you if you look at it and but he's still you know one two three four five let me say he's still in like the top six or seven as far as as taking sacks is concerned so I guess this kind of feeds into this this thought the thoughts that I had about his placement in the quarterback hierarchy versus I had specifically Patrick Mahomes and others like I was looking at prior years if you take let's say sacks and scrambles which are probably the two least um valued aspects of a quarterback's game which have a lot of strong um effect on epa per play that you know he's probably spotting uh, uh mahomes maybe not as much this year but in prior seasons like it's, it's almost spotting someone 45 50 60 epa every season so i guess i guess my question is can can he overcome that just through this passing success that he has. And and maybe that's why I, I view them differently. Do you think it's it's fair to do that? Or do you think you should really just focus on the totality of of the performance and then and that's why you can see them as being on on the same plane? Yeah, I, so I, I remember the other thing I was gonna say. So a lot a lot of my explanation for Wilson's divergence between CPOE and EPA had to do with the Seahawks not letting him throw the ball on early downs and right. um 
the hypothesis there would be that if the Seahawks did let him throw more on early downs, then we would expect CPOE and EPA to be similar. Um, obviously, that's not what has happened this year. Wilson's CPOE is still a lot higher, but this is one of the challenges of EPA where a, a couple of plays can totally swing the EPA. So if, if we're looking at the CPOE versus EPA uh, chart on the website, Wilson is way below the trend line, but this these, this is the kind of unadjusted EPA where he's like he's been docked 10 EPA for an, a pick six that bounced off his receiver's hands. He's docked 12 EPA for um, throwing the almost pick six against the Cardinals. And yes, it was a bad decision. And um, yes, he was lucky that DK Metcalf chased him down. But at the same time, how many interceptions thrown into the opponent's end zone are returned 90 yards? Like it's, it's not a lot. And all that stuff is mostly random. It doesn't have a lot to do with the quarterback. So Kind of on the one hand, the, the hypothesis has not really been borne out, the the kind of convergence of EPA and CPOE if you're allowed to, to throw more, but also like EPA has all this inherent randomness built in that it, it's hard to know, like it, it's hard to know what to make of this after seven games or whatever. Um, going back to your question about Wilson and Mahomes and Sachs, like I, I think this is the right way to think about it. So if, if we're comparing specifically these two quarterbacks, um, each one has one strength relative to the other. Mahomes is great at avoiding sacks and Wilson is great at completing the passes that he throws and kind of how to weight those against each other um, is not super obvious, especially when um, Mahomes prior to this year, Mahomes had such a better infrastructure as well for producing EPA. Like he had better pass protection, better receivers, better play calling, you got to throw more in early downs, like all this stuff that is probably affecting EPA more than CPOA and, and gives Mahomes this inherent advantage. Now that a lot of that is gone because the Seahawks actually have pass protection and two great wide receivers and they're letting him throw more. Um, and uh, and now their, their EPA is pretty similar. And that's with Wilson getting pretty unlucky with things that affect EPA a lot and Mahomes probably getting pretty lucky, uh, especially in that Patriots game. And if you if you kind of throw it all together, then the the EPA and CPA composite uh, has Wilson a decent bit higher than Mahomes, and that that's consistent with like for example, if you look at PFF grades, it says that Wilson has played a lot better than Mahomes this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the grades have shown that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I definitely would not dispute that. What do you think about this? Is the other aspect that I found when I was digging into. Like what is driving this? Um, you mentioned the the early down passing. I think that's that's interesting. Um, although, you know, it, it, it matters. I think it's a little bit like like you, you admit there's different baselines based upon different performances. But I, I think one of the reasons that it might have mattered more for Russ is when I looked at him, I was surprised to find that over his career, he hasn't really been. Um, a particularly strong conversions on third down. I thought that what, you know, the kind of the narrative, at least that, that I, I agreed with a lot was that he was, um, you know, the Seahawks were running on first and second down. Then he was bailing them out by converting all of these third downs. But then when I, when I looked at it more, he has over his career converted more, uh, third downs than you would have expected, but it's very slight. Uh, I mean, according to my calculation, it's it's like one percent over what you would have expected. This year, it's actually under expectation, and it and it hasn't really risen over time. Do you think? I, I know third down conversions can be noisy in a particular season or in a number of weeks or things like that. Do you think there is some signal here over his career that he's not as good at converting third downs because we have someone like Patrick Mahomes, where again, this could be scheme, it could be other things too, but. You know, Patrick Mahomes has been able to convert, according to my numbers, about 45 more uh, um, third downs than you would have expected. So he's converting, you know, an additional 10 to 15 a year, whereas uh, Wilson's right around what you would expect. Yeah, so prior to this season, I would have said that this is probably driven in part or even mostly by how bad Seattle's pass protection has been historically. So they've I don't know how to look up multi-year PFF grades, but I bet if you looked at Seattle's pass protection from 2012 through 2019, there would be very few teams that had worse offensive lines than the Seahawks. And this, like, this is probably especially impactful on third downs when 
the defense is pass rushing and it, it felt like half of Wilson's third down dropbacks just had like on third down, just had a, a free rusher coming at him. And it, it's very hard to operate well in those circumstances, but this season, the offensive line has been a lot better and they're still not very good on third downs uh, against the Vikings. They didn't complete. Uh, they didn't convert a single third down uh, um, attempt. And there, there's been games where they just like, they can't buy third down conversion. So I, I, I would guess at this point, there's, there's something that's not randomness and not related to the offensive line that, like maybe Wilson is just there's something about him that isn't as great on third downs as his early down performance would suggest. Yeah, because it's very it's very strange to me because I'm looking at quarterbacks who have been really good at converting third downs this this season, and I don't know. I feel like Wilson has the attributes of you know of someone who should be converting a lot, basically this, that's why it doesn't necessarily make as much sense to me. It's guys like Josh Allen, um, Patrick Mahomes, who have been doing really well um, to a lesser degree, guys like Deshaun Watson, where they are, you know, they're getting scramble conversions, which Wilson can obviously do that. And I think they're just able to buy time in the pocket and, and things of that nature. So yeah, that, that, that disconnect, I always find a little bit weird, but I guess the more and more that I'm seeing it happen, um, I'm wondering, I guess my, my, one of my theories on it is like, is there a conservatism to Wilson's game that maybe isn't obvious because of the fact that he throws these, these deep balls, which where the guys have, you know, uh, uh, a split hair of separation and he's willing to throw those passes. C- could that mask maybe some conservatism that he may have of forcing the ball in when it needs to be forced in to convert a third down or something of that nature. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. And here it's hard to know how much of that is inherent to Wilson versus playing for a coach that is very, very conservative about turnovers and really wants to avoid those. So like, I'm sure Carol is drilling into Wilson. Like if, if, if there's nothing there, don't turn the ball over. We'll punt and, uh, we we have to protect our defense because the defense is Pete Carroll's baby and he wants it to be in the best uh, position as possible. And this isn't to kind of uh, say that Russ isn't liable here because like he's the one actually making these plays and making these decisions and what happens on third down obviously impacts the Seahawks. But um, this is, it, it's one of those things where it's hard to separate like the philosophy of the coach from what the player wants to do. And at, at this point they've, they've been together so long that, those are probably melded together, but yes, I, I absolutely think that some of this is probably Wilson being conservative on third downs when there's times that he should probably just let it rip. Although in, in the last game, two of his interceptions were on third down. So maybe he's <laughs> overcoming that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is happening a bit. And another thing that I, that I thought was interesting when I dug into these numbers more and more is I do think like using this accuracy using CPOE and then using EPA and looking at them versus each other gives you, um, I mean, it's not going to tell you everything about a quarterback and maybe style of play and things like that, but it does have interesting groupings on there. Now I mentioned earlier that Wilson was uh, kind of an outlier in the fact that he's, we have, we have nine uh, years of, of data for, for him with these two metrics, all nine years, he's had a, high, a, a higher ranking over in the NFL for his CPOE versus EPA per play. And when I looked at other quarterbacks who had done so, I mean, people aren't going to like to hear these names, of course, but um, other other quarterbacks who'd done so. So, so Kirk Cousins was someone who showed up. He had all six seasons that he has a qualifying number. He's he's had a higher CPOE versus EPA per play. Um, others who are kind of fit that bill on here as far as having on average a higher ranking for CPOA versus EPA per play. We have Teddy Bridgewater. We have Ryan Tannehill, which is kind of interesting because Tannehill, this is mostly Tannehill, Miami, not Tannehill, um, not Tannehill, Tennessee, which gives some credence to the to the scheme question here because he's it's become much more equalized as he's moved over to Tennessee. We have Sam Bradford, Marcus Mariota, um, guys that, I mean, it's always, like I said, it's very difficult to judge like conservatism, but I think those are guys who have been questioned about that sort of trait 
throughout their careers. Um, but then you also have guys like Sean Watson. So, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Now, if, if someone were to say that Kirk Cousins and, and Russell Wilson have similarities in the play like this, like how, how insulting is that guess <laughs> to Russell Wilson's fans, Russell Wilson fans, if you say Kirk Cousins is like, there's some aspects of him you could say he's a, he's like a poor man's Russell Wilson in a way. So I think there's, in, looking at this is interesting because it kind of results in groupies of players and in that, um, those names you just read, there, there's basically two types of ways to have this happen. One is to uh, take a lot of sacks, and that's the right. the Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson group. And like those are all pretty good players um, and kind of a, a group of players that is good at completing passes usually and uh, takes a lot of sacks. And we know that sacks are in part a, a stable part of quarterback play that are negatively impactful. So like no one, no one should argue that Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson take a lot of sacks because they do. It, it doesn't mean they're bad quarterbacks. It's just like something about their style of play. The other, so that's kind of group A of having high CPOE, higher CPOE than EPA would suggest. And group B is kind of the, the players who have high CPOE by attacking parts of the field that are not valuable by EPA. So this is like the, the Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Derek Carr. Uh, I, uh, I can't remember the, the other players he listed, but. Like I don't, I don't think Bradford, Sam Bradford. Yeah, yeah, Brad Bradford is a great example of this with of, of not pushing the ball downfield. So you can complete a lot of passes, but if if they're all being short, then that's not as valuable as attacking downfield like a Wilson or uh, Watson would do. Now on the flip side, so maybe we, maybe we could talk a bit about Mahomes here because I know you you send out some stuff showing his CPOE and. Um, <laughs> I don't know the proportion of troll versus um, versus uh, honest opinion on this when uh, when you're putting him next to Jimmy Garoppolo and you're saying, hey, look, two um, two system quarterbacks or whatever, or two two guys who, are, who have everything schemed for them. But it is interesting that when I looked at the flip side of this, so I said guys who are significantly higher on their EPA ranking. Um, on average versus their their CPOE. Yeah, right at the top we have. Jared Goff, um, Patrick Mahomes, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, this is going back to 2006, which I think is as far back as we have the past um, the A dot data in order to to calculate the CPOE. So, does this? But maybe I'll maybe I'll ask you first with with these thoughts about about who these quarterbacks are. um, How much does this say to you? This is a, a system scheme thing versus how much does it say to you that there may be things that they're doing outside of accuracy that either are, in the case of Mahomes, maybe easy to recognize because everyone sees him as this elite quarterback, or in the case of Goff and Garoppolo, or maybe harder to recognize, that is is boosting their productivity over what you would expect just based upon this accuracy metric. Yeah, so the, the Mahomes-Garoppolo thing is... Um, that was from a comparison of, so in, in NFL Fast Star, we have our own version of uh, CPOE that is from public data. And the, the biggest driver is air yards. Um, when comparing that to the uh, next gen stats, which have their own version, they do it from tracking data. So they have things like pressure on the quarterback and receiver separation, blah, blah, blah. If you kind of plot one against the other, then they're very, very strongly related at least this year, except for two quarterbacks, which is uh, Mahomes and Jimmy G. And the NFL faster model is much higher on both of those than the next-gen stats model. And and my guess is that the next-gen stats model knows that both of those players are throwing to uh, open receivers more often than other players are. And I don't think anyone would dispute that about either quarterback. They both have very good uh, offensive head coaches who are scheming for them. Um, Yeah. Going back to oh go ahead sorry no go ahead um going back to the the epa versus cpoe thing this like this has been pronounced for mahomes but it would be much 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 more so if we use the the next gen stats version of cpoe which um builds in the receiver separation thing now the question is to what extent is mahomes um quote unquote responsible for this receiver separation part, uh, which I think is what you're asking about with decision making. And and I think there's like, yes, there is some aspect to that where like we see Mahomes avoiding getting sacked, which is one of his great traits and scrambling out. And then afterwards there's a wide open receiver. And in cases like that, we shouldn't 
Um, we shouldn't use that against Mahomes because like that's a play that he's making and most quarterbacks would not make. Um, but there's also these plays where um, he's like he's 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 throwing to wide open receivers um, like trying to think of example, like the tunnel screens to Kelsey and stuff like that, where like a, a lot of quarterbacks could make those plays and um, Andy Reid is just very good. So there's like, there, there's some kind of mixture of those going on. And I think EP, EPA is uh, like the system he's playing in is definitely beneficial to his EPA. And that, that doesn't mean he's not a great player because obviously he is a great player, but I think EPA probably overstates um, how well Mahomes has played in his career. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, but one thing I wonder about these, okay, first of all, when it comes to the next, the next gen number for CPOE, um, I'm a little bit, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say troubled, but I'm a little bit, I always end up wondering all the different components that we're talking about that, that go into this because like there, there is how fast the quarterback's moving when he throws the ball. There is how far downfield, obviously, that we talked about. There is the location. Um, this is beyond the separation angle. There's a location where there's the sideline versus it's the middle of the field. Um, there, I think there, there are some other ones in there, like closest defender, um, I believe, like h- yep. how close the pass rush is when you're throwing it. So. Like all of these different things, well, I think each one of them, if you could look and see what the adjustment is, I think it could be interesting. But at the same time, there is some there is some like selection bias in um, like if you're not willing to throw the ball into the middle of the field, then then and you're throwing it to the sidelines and you can you can complete these like amazing sideline passes but they're not necessarily the best pass that you could be throwing, right? Like you could be throwing a ball more into the middle of the field. And the, and the reason quarterbacks are not willing to throw into the middle of the field is you, you, you get more EPA per, per target when you do that. Um, but normally there has to be like a bigger window for someone being open because you're afraid you're going to get intercepted, right? You're going to get intercepted much more often when you're, when you're making those sort of plays. Or if you're talking about a play like a Patrick Mahomes play where he's rolling out to the side he has a defender right next to him and then he chucks the ball 55 yards downfield it's like who do you even have to compare that to right like what where's where's your selection of of quarterbacks to compare like how difficult of a throw that may have been or not so i guess that's that's why i'm a little bit like i i kind of i mean i think it's good to compare both of them i think it's good when like i wouldn't necessarily put the ngs model above just a straight pass depth model because one of them then with the pass depth model it really is just measuring how good you are completing this particular task without having all these different these different adjustments um, now going further into this, the style of play thing, I mean, I'll, I'll look at some other quarterbacks who have this higher EPA versus CPO, CPOE. And as I go down the list, there's some interesting names there. I mean, first of all, Tom Brady. So, um, to some people, maybe the ultimate system quarterback to some people or to other people, the goat, right? So he, he has 14 years that, that he qualifies on here, 13 out of those 14 years, he had a higher EPA than his CPOE on average, He's he's a six and a half rankings better um, on a, on a seasonal basis, so it's pretty huge difference um, between those measures. Other guys that fall on here, Donovan McNabb. Now that's interesting because he's someone obviously who played with with Andy Reid for a lot of his career. Although this is really kind of like the latter half of his his career, so it doesn't really fall in as much. But he's someone to fall in there. Andrew Luck, which I think provides a, a, a big contrast to um, to Russell Wilson because. You know, I, I guess I'm kind of wondering whether these guys are viewed like is is there just a more positive sentiment? I feel like there's a more positive sentiment around a lot of these guys. I mean, Matthew Stafford's another name that comes on there, right? Um, Josh Allen is another name that comes on there. I feel like these are guys where is it capturing something that these are very beloved quarterbacks when they talk about like their potential or their their traits or their skills or things like that? Um like like we always these are guys that you could typically say well we we think they're being they're being overrated in a in a particular sort of way but does it capture a style of play where you could say well maybe Matthew Stafford is kind of like your poor man's Patrick Mahomes for all these things that they could possibly do um do, 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 do you get what I'm saying with these guys I mean these are guys that, yeah. that, that may be overvalued by some analytical types but then I mean undervalued by some analytical types but maybe overvalued by some film types if that makes sense Yeah I think one question that I don't really know the answer to is like, if somebody has a higher, 
how long of higher EPA per play than CPOE do we need to conclude that EPA is probably a better measurement for a player? Like, because ultimately what the, the goal of a play is to produce positive EPA and CPOE is just like one, one of the ways in which a player does that, which is completing passes. But like if, if Tom Brady has higher EPA than CPOE for 14 straight seasons or whatever it is, then we can say that like EPA is probably a better measurement of his value because he does things like avoid sacks and avoid backbreaking turnovers and things like that. And it's probably a better uh, descriptor of how good he actually is than the CPOE. Uh, and the, the flip side of that is someone like Drew Brees, who um, I, I think CPOE has liked a lot more than EPA uh, over the years. And that's, I, I think, in part because he throws short so much. So like his, his passes are on average less valuable than somebody like uh, a Tom Brady's. And after, if we have like a decade of information about somebody and he's always producing higher EPA per play than CPOE, then I think at that point, we, we need to say like either his, he has some play style or trait where his game is more conducive to producing EPA per EPA, which, which ultimately is the value metric that we care about, or he's in a scheme that allows him to do this. And if, 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 if it has gone on for, a decade, then I think the, the scheme argument becomes less convincing because like schemes and players around a player are changing uh, more often than the quarterback is. So we're at, at that point, we're probably measuring something inherent to the quarterback with somebody like Brady. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually interesting with, with Breeze because his numbers are, he actually has, he has fewer seasons where um, the CPOE was better than EPA than EPA over CPOE, but he's but he's closer to being average. Um, he's closer to being aligned than these other quarterbacks are. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think you do find more quote unquote kind of like elite names in the EPA over CPOE, which kind of makes sense, right? Like like you have Brady, you have I mean Peyton Manning falls in there too, although it gets a little bit muddled because. As he like those those 2014 2015 where he basically died and and well, the second half of 2014 and 2012 where he came back from the neck injury and he was not quite the same guy those were the seasons where the CPOE and the EPA were like very close and he has some other seasons unfortunately Peyton Manning kind of breaks this metric because he's like the best at both too too often um, so you can't really get like a good comparison because he's just like this perfect quarterback as far as as far as, as how he was playing there. Um, so that's an interesting thing. But one other thing that, that I thought was interesting when I went through here, and I think this lends to the um, how much a quarterback matters, is that uh, when I looked at uh, – let me just bring him up here. When I looked at Alex Smith, so when Alex Smith was – Alex Smith 2017 um, – when he when he was playing, you know, the year before Mahomes took over. So with Andy Reid, essentially with um, the same cast, I mean, for the most part, right? Uh, they had Tyreek Hill was emerging at that point, um, kind of broke out that season. He probably maybe he's on a different level now, but for the most part, they had the same cast. I mean, maybe uh, maybe no Sammy Watkins, if you want to, if you want to say there's Sammy Watkins, a big impact there, but I don't know. I don't know if this is true. This might not be true of the next gen version, which is looking at separation, but if the NFL faster version, he still had a higher CPOE than he did EPA in 2017. He did in 2016. And then if you move further back where he was struggling a bit more, then it kind of flipped over to EPA versus CPOE. So it is interesting that Smith in the same offense with the same players, um, with the same coach, had the inverse relationship where he was second in CPOE in 2017, but then he was seventh in EPA per play. So it is possible that it can, that the quarterback, I mean, we're probably looking at an extreme version with someone like Alex Smith, but there is obviously a quarterback influence on this number um, beyond the the scheme and how open receivers are and things like that. Yep, I agree. Okay, now let's uh, quickly move on. I, I want to talk about the article that you came out with today i haven't looked at a great distance but we're, we're kind of talking everything fourth down in in the nfl so what what are the biggest things that you're seeing not only with the model that you've made and 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 what what coaches are doing and how big of an impact do you think really the fourth down aggressiveness is having on the nfl this year yeah so kind of as background for this um i was watching the uh the bears buccaneers game a few weeks ago and the the buccaneers had this fourth down decision i think it was, it was like fourth and one at the opponent maybe six yard line with five minutes left up by one point. And I think 
like watching the game, I thought it was not a, a super obvious decision. Like, or wait, uh, they were down by one actually. So like, do you kick and put yourself up by two, um, which like it feels nice to have a lead, or do you go for it and try to score a touchdown, which would have a, a, a bigger impact on the game? Uh, they ended up kicking and then uh, losing. And I was like, I want to have like some sort of way to say whether decisions are good or not. So I, I put together this fourth down calculator um, that's built on basically the NFL fast star win probability model. And, and it, it looks at based on this distribution of possible outcomes, if you kick a field goal or punt um, or go for it, then what is your average win probability probably across these states? And then it ultimately spits out some final recommendation. Uh, what I found is that, uh, so I put together this model and then looked at how how closely NFL head coaches have kind of adhered to the recommendations of this model when the model makes a, a quote-unquote strong prediction and found that, uh, number one, they actually, uh, at least in 2020, they, they actually have been following the model somewhat closely. So I think it's some something like two-thirds of the time when the model really thinks you should go for it, coaches have gone for it. And then when the model really thinks you should not go for it, they basically never go for it, uh, which is interesting in and of itself. But also the rate at which coaches have been aggressive when the model says to be aggressive has increased a lot, even over the past few seasons. And like we sort of knew this already, but it's it's nice to have like this, this framework to... Um, uh, evaluate decisions and then compare um, this framework to what coaches are actually doing. And and I know I know PFF has their own uh, calculator, and I'm I'm guessing it would say similar things. But um, I, that that's basically what I thought we learned from this. Yeah, no, I mean I think what's interesting though is that just generally, like offense has been so much better this season, and yep. like there's this there's this feedback loop of. You know, you you play well, you succeed more often than what you're expecting, which is happening across the board, and then you end up trying for it more often. Um, so I think we're seeing that a lot in what's in what's going on here. Now, do you? I, I guess I have a couple of questions about this. One is this like sustainable? So the will this continue beyond? this kind of the the season that we're that we're seeing now for for what's going on do you think that's the case and has there been anything as far as in crafting your model where do you know even anecdotally that there are certain situations where the model is a lot more aggressive than what coaches generally are or or vice versa yeah so i think to the sustainable part, I would definitely think yes. I think one of the main reasons that coaches were reluctant to go for it is the questioning slash criticism that they would face afterwards if they didn't. But as it becomes more and more common to go for it, then it, it almost feels routine and nobody's really, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say nobody. Fewer people are blinking an eye when a coach goes for it in a situation where maybe they wouldn't have in the past and they didn't get it because like more and more people are understanding the logic and here is what the model says and uh, retaining possession of the football is actually really important in a game where the goal is to score points. And, and I think people are getting that more and more. And, and hopefully this, this piece adds to that in some small way. Um, for the second part, I think the model is much more aggressive than NFL head coaches. Um, and uh, we, we kind of see that in both, like when it says to kick, they kick hundred percent of the time. When it says to go for it, they go for it about two thirds of the time, and that and that shows that they're kind of when they're going with their gut and overriding the model, it's only to be more conservative, uh, and and I think that is still probably the natural leaning of coaches. The the other uh, piece of supporting evidence for this is is when it's really close, like when the model says it's a toss up and you can do either one, coaches kick about ninety percent of the time in those situations. So I I think we still we still have room to go in coaches being open to going for it in more aggressive situations. But there, there's some situations where like a coach is never going to do that. So one of them was um, in the Monday night game, the bears had, I think it was a fourth and six at their own five yard line in the second half down by seven points. And the model said to go for it. And that's like an NFL coach would just see that and think that, no, that's absolutely crazy. And I, I don't think the model's wrong, but it, it's going to take, a lot of movement before we get to a point where coaches are going to feel comfortable going for it in that situation. Now, one other thing I wondered about, because let's, 
like we're there the assumptions that are built into these models um specifically the win probability assumption i i'm not sure how much that tracks perception um coaching perception outside of at least the second half of the game but maybe even outside of the fourth quarter because at least what i noticed when i when i looked at win probability and um you know, we all we all look at the run pass ratio and what that means in game scripted win probability. And when I when I looked at it by quarter, it didn't really affect like your run pass wasn't that affected until we got to the fourth quarter. So even if you were a ninety five percent chance to win, um, teams are much more likely to to run under that circumstance in the fourth quarter than they were in earlier quarters. Now, some of that makes sense because the time, the time difference is it's like a, it's like a greater proportion if you're running 40 seconds off the clock in the fourth quarter than if you're running it earlier. But what I'm wondering is for coaches, like if they're, if you're inputting into this, there's a 95% win probability, but it's only the, the second quarter, let's say there's a 5% win probability, the flip side of it, but it's only the second quarter or the third quarter, like, is there a disconnect in the fact that coaches probably aren't necessarily viewing that way because they can't really comprehend? It's, it's it's more difficult to comprehend only having a five percent chance to win when there's so much time left in the game or something like that. Yes, absolutely, and that that's one of the one of the drivers of aggressive decisions that is just completely divorced from how coaches think. So going back to that uh, Bears example, I I think it, I think it was ten minutes left in the third quarter and they were down by seven, and um, since they were pretty decently sized road underdogs the model was like pretty close to writing them off in that game already and a a coach is never going to think that way there's 10 minutes left in the third quarter and I'm down by seven points and you're telling me the game is almost over like that's that's just (laughs) that's that's such a hard message for um coaches to understand in in part because like they get there because like they they have supreme confidence in themselves and like they they've risen to the top and like they're always going to think their their team has a chance in that game especially the Bears who are five and one at this point. And um, the, the model's basically saying you have very little chance in this game at this point. So taking the risk is something you need to do to help you get back in the game. And a coach is going to say, no, I'm, I'm down by seven points. I want to punt and hope my defense comes with, up with a stop and um, kind of play the game out that way. Uh, ultimately they, they punted and then the Rams scored and then the, the game really was over. So in this N equals one sample size, I, I think the model uh, was onto something here. Now, I know that your model for win probability, I think, does a good job of having maybe a little bit fatter tails than than some others as far as allowing for the possibility of comebacks where it's not as narrow as I've seen on some other models. Like for some for some models, you'll see very, very early on, you know, a ninety nine point nine, a ninety nine point five percent chance of a of a of a win where yours will be a bit smaller than that. How much of that when you're crafting that is, is purely saying, you know, I'm putting together this model and I'm just agnostic of what my feelings may be about what's appropriate or not. I'm, I'm trying to, to get the most accurate number or was, were you consciously thinking about that? Because that's probably the number one critique and maybe a, a, a true critique of some um, win probability models is they're too aggressive, um, especially early in the game. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say that I, I think ESPN's model in particular is too aggressive. Um, so there's um, on that, that week five Sunday night game between the Vikings and Seahawks, the Vikings had uh, a fourth and one deep in Seattle territory um, where they, they tried to go for it to end the game and I think ESPN's model said that whether they kicked or went for it, they had like a 98% chance uh, to win the game, which I think is like very high considering like, even if they kicked a field goal, they, the, the Seahawks would be down eight with Russell Wilson with two minutes and a timeout remaining basically. And and I think 98% is really aggressive there. Um, and I, I think both PFF and us had like somewhere in the low nineties, which, which feels more right. But in terms of like actually building that into the model, I didn't make any effort to be conservative. It was just kind of how, like after tuning the model for a long time and trying to get kind of the, 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 the best performing model possible, that was the end result of that. So I, I'm not sure exactly how others have come up with much more aggressive models, but it, it definitely feels right to be more conservative at the end of games to 
allow for chances of comebacks, uh, especially this year when we've seen a lot of them. Yeah, I guess that's another question is like how much, you know, everything is based upon historical data. So how much do we, is there, is there an issue of an improbable comeback is just much more likely now because these offenses have reached a different higher plateau for, for their level of play at this point. Is that something you can even credibly build into a model? Uh, I think probably not using historical data. And and the question is at the end of the season, what to do about kind of all the comebacks and the offensive explosion, because like to the extent that the offensive explosion is driven by uh, like the NFL deciding to not call holding penalties, that's something that we couldn't have predicted ahead of time. And in terms of going forward, it's like, I don't know if we know whether that will continue or not. I guess that it would because nobody wants to see a bunch of holding penalties, but it's really the NFL's decision about calling those. And some of the, some of the offense is also about teams being more aggressive and going for fourth downs more and like all this kind of stuff. And, and that probably will continue. So there's, there's kind of this balance between foreseeable and not foreseeable offensive explosions. And then how do you build that into a model over the offseason, which is, I think, not super obvious. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, it's funny because I was talking with uh, Michael Lopez about this last week. It there are these these individual factors like going for more on fourth down, throwing the ball a little bit more often. But although it's only incremental, it's only really like a, a tracking uh, a trend line that we've seen for a while. Um, you know, the holding the holding penalties, but then we're also there's also pre snap penalties are down a bunch of other things are down so it's this weird situation where if you totaled up if you tried to identify all those individual effects and then total them up it wouldn't come to the the huge jump that we're seeing this year so there there may be some unexplained thing with with the crowd noise or maybe teams you know something about lifestyle with what they're able to do with traveling and whatnot um that's coming into it or these things have a um, a compounding effect when they all happen at the same time to to bring us to to some new level. So I do think that'll be something interesting to, to study going forward. And you know, hopefully, we won't see too many improbable comebacks because then we'll be told that we're just guessing <laughs> and, not, and not any better than, than than what we're doing there. But I, but yeah, but I appreciate what what you've done here in particular because, like you mentioned, I think ESPN is probably the one that gets shown the most. And it's like a convenient like screenshot sort of uh, gotcha thing where you have the 99.8% out there. So I'm, I'm happy to flood the market with uh, with more information that shows it being a bit more conservative. And and I appreciate that. Well, um, I think I'm gonna let you go. I've taken a lot of your time here, Ben. But I want to, again, thank you for not only being on the podcast, but all that you're doing by prov- providing all this great data. A lot of it was what I was able to dig through for part of this discussion. So we have rbsdm.com where you can get all of the quarterback information, the box score data. Um, people can follow you on Twitter at Ben B. Baldwin. Uh, anything else you want to you want to plug right now or or um, different things that you're working on that you may want to highlight for the future? Uh, nope, just the, the fourth down piece that we talked about came out uh, today as I'm speaking um, slash uh, whenever you're listening to this. And uh, it's definitely a work in progress. So if anyone has feedback or suggestions, then definitely happy to take them. Um, but otherwise, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, I think now we've agreed that uh that 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 russ and kirk cousins are the most similar quarterbacks out there so we can, <laughs> we, we, we can we can put that to rest and then tom brady and patrick mahomes um so uh but anyway thanks thanks for joining me and uh we're gonna wrap this up and then i'll be talking to everybody next week thanks 